Hey, Love Tribe, get excited for another great episode with Chase and our special guest. But before we start, I wanted to remind you about our amazing and free 14-day happy couple challenge. I don't know about you, but with the upcoming holidays, I'm feeling this hectic energy and I'm craving some grounding, fun, and meaningful connection with my partner. So whether you've been with your partner for many years and you're needing to mix things up or you're a newly coupled and you're looking to dive in to learn more about each other, the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge is perfect for anyone wanting to deepen their relationship and have fun while doing it. So head on over to our website to sign up. You can start connecting deeper physically and emotionally today over at idopodcast.com slash 14 with our simple, easy, and doable daily challenges arriving straight into your inbox daily. This free 14-Day Challenge will help you break the old habits and build new engaging habits that will push you to create a deeper intimacy with your partner. Sign up today for free for the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge to start strengthening and improving your relationship today. Head on over to idopodcast.com slash 14. That's idopodcast.com slash 14 to sign up for our free challenge today. What's going on, guys? Welcome to I Do Podcast, where we interview the world's leading relationship, marriage, dating, and self-help experts. Whether you're single, dating, married, or struggling in a relationship, we're here to help give you the tools to succeed. And yesterday was Valentine's Day. We hope you guys had a great Valentine's Day. And if you didn't, Hopefully, we are here to help give you some good tips for a successful relationship. And so that 2018 Valentine's Day is going to be perfect. Oh, yeah. (laughs) On today's show, we welcome Amanda Carver, and we talk about a very important topic. All of our topics are important, but this can be a particularly distressing quality that you might find that you have or your partner has, and that is... Someone with a low self-esteem or an insecure attachment style. And generally, not every time, but a lot of times those will go hand in hand. And whether this is someone that you are dating or in a relationship with or you identify as someone with an insecure attachment style, it's going to be important to understand that this is something that uh, a characteristic that you have and it's not the end of the world if you have it it's completely fine that's what this episode is all about is giving you the tools to understand your attachment style understand how you can communicate with your partner and to to improve your relationship to help them relate better to you in in your attachment style having an insecure attachment style is not a wrong thing. I want to be clear on that. It's something that a lot of people have and it can be very hard if you're in a relationship or trying to be in a relationship to navigate that relationship when you are constantly anxious and trying to please your partner because you're afraid they're going to leave you or 
any number of, of things that someone with an insecure attachment style is going to exhibit. So if you're like thinking in your head right now, yeah, that's me, that that's someone, I'm someone that that's anxious about these things, then you are definitely going to find a lot of value in today's episode. And even if that's not you, maybe you have a partner who exhibits a low self-esteem or an insecure attachment style, or maybe even just a little bit of that. It doesn't, you don't have to be fully insecure, fully insecure in your attachment. You can have small characteristics of those things. And this episode is going to help you. Amanda talks about the tools to understand your attachment style and then to communicate that and to move forward in that relationship in a positive way. And there's good news. You can work towards a more secure attachment style in a more positive self-image. And it is not something that you're born with or that you get when you're little and you, you have for the rest of your life. So definitely listen for the tools and tactics that Amanda gives us today. And today we'll be playing you out with the song When the War is Over, and it's from The Hip Abduction, and it's their album One Less Sound. And as always, we appreciate you guys so much. If you would like to support us, uh, you can do so by checking out the links in today's podcast description or on the show notes page. There are three links there. One of them is amazon.com. When you click on that link, we get a small percentage of the sale comes from Amazon. If you shop there, please click on there and it'll help us out. Every little bit counts. Uh, The next link is patreon.com forward slash I do podcast. You can contribute monthly to us for as little as $2 a day and $2 a month. I always say $2 a day. That would be nice. You can do $2 a day too. (laughs) And then lastly, audibletrial.com forward slash I do podcast. Get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. And on audibletrial.com, you can find hundreds of books and a lot of the books that are hundreds of thousands, actually. (laughs) A lot of the books that uh, our guests mention are on there. So if you hear a book that sounds uh, like you want to read it, check it out. Go to our link, which is audibletrial.com forward slash I do podcast. We appreciate you guys so much. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, how are you? Good. Well, we've given our listeners a little overview. So why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. My name's Amanda Carver. Um, I've been a therapist since 2009. Uh, Traditionally, I did a lot of work with um, particularly teenagers that had um, trauma in their past and were in the system in child protective services. Um, And after that, I started working with a lot of their families. So it became really clear to me that often the, the key to making children better is to help the parents and help the family to work better as well. Um, Also interesting about me is when I started in this field, I started from a real uh, cognitive behavioral lens, which is really about looking at thoughts and feelings and behaviors and how those three things affect each other and changing your behavior through changing those things. Well, the interesting thing for me was when I started working with the population that I did, 
it just didn't work. The reason being is that they were not attached well. Uh, they had, didn't have a good, strong relationship with their parents from the start, which really affects the way the brain develops right from infancy forward. What it does is when you have a good attachment, it gives you a good scaffolding on which you pin everything else you learn about the world, including the fact that you're able to handle yourself in the world, that you're able to calm yourself down and that you can take on adversity. So I found with these kids, I had to throw away a lot of the cognitive behavioral piece and just spend the time teaching them that they could be safe in relationships. So that's kind of how I got into attachment uh, therapy. And from there, I started working with adults. And um, yeah, I, I, I really like it because you can really see changes happen in people's lives quickly. And it's a very gratifying job that I really take a lot out of. It's amazing how much we're shaped in our early years and how much just our personality and then how we relate to others and, and how we deal with our partners in relationships. And it, it's super important to understand. And today we're going to zero in on attachment theory and specifically someone who is exhibiting a insecure attachment. And this is often associated with someone with a low self-esteem. So if, if our listeners are listening and, and they identify as one of these people, there's going to be a lot of great information or maybe their partner is in insecure attachment and uh, there'll be a lot of great stuff for them. So let's jump right in. What is uh, insecure attachment? So basically this goes back to studies that were done by John Bowlby with monkeys. And what he did is he looked at three types of groups of infant monkeys. One of which was left to be with their mother uh, whenever they were frightened or scared, they had access to that mom that comforted them, that snuggled with them, that held on to them, that fed them, um, either for comfort or for nurturing, as we know that infants will often use that kind of sucking reflex to make themselves feel better, uh, would engage with them, make eye contact with them. There was another group of monkeys that had kind of a surrogate mother. And what it was, it was like a, a kind of wrapped in a terry cloth. It looked like a monkey. It was soft and cuddly. It was available to the baby. It was suited up with kind of a bottle so it could go to it for nurturing, for cuddling, and for food. But obviously, it's not going to respond the way a real mother would. And the last one just kind of had a bottle. It had not, The last group could didn't have anything to really comfort it. It had the food there, but it wasn't provided with any sort of warmth or affection. And what they found with these monkeys is the ones that had their mother, obviously, they did well. They adapted socially. They kind of fit in, and they could manage themselves. The second group of monkeys, what happened was they could get back in with the regular group of monkeys, but they didn't really know how to manage themselves fully. They were very anxious. They were nervous. They were constantly looking for other people. Uh, they were quick to give away their food. If they were approached by other monkeys, they might shy away rather than engage. And the last group of monkeys never really fit in with the kind of monkey troop at all. And even they would, you know, they would bite. They were quite aggressive. Uh, they never formed connections with the other animals. And we see these with adults, too. So in particular, when you have an adult with an insecure attachment, especially when it comes to someone with low self-esteem, what's typically happened is there's been a parent who, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to be consistent. Sometimes they were uh, able to meet them for their needs, including warmth, affection, tenderness, all those things. And sometimes they weren't. So what happens is this child is never really sure if they're going to get the warm parent or if they're going to get the parent that just is absent. Either they're not engaged with them 100%, they're not able to meet their needs, uh, something else is troubling them in their own lives, so they can't connect with that child on an emotional level per se. And this is not to blame parents because we're, we all come with our own history as well. 
But oftentimes if a parent is very, very stressed out, they're so busy handling their own needs. They're not necessarily able to attune 100% to what that child needs. So that child, as it grows up, spends all its time looking outwardly to see which parent it's going to be faced with. So they're constantly looking to the outside to guess what kind of interaction they're going to have. Well, eventually they develop a pattern of internalizing these things. So they've done a lot of studies to show people with low self-esteem, and they can track this at the age of 10, they can track this in your teenage years. When you trace it backwards, most of these people have had an insecure attachment with their parent from a young age. So what happens is if you've got good self-esteem, you've had good attachment, you feel good about who you are. So you can fail a math test and know it's because you didn't have time to, to study. But if you have lower self-esteem and you didn't have that good attachment, if you fail that math test, you internalize that as a message about yourself, about your own capabilities, about your own sense of mastery in the world. Um, and that comes also from any social interactions you might have had that didn't turn out too well. This down the road obviously transfers into romantic relationships because the attachment process means from the start, you attach to your parents. From there, you kind of take an interest more in your friends, especially in the adolescent years, which is why adolescents tend to push away from their parents and get a little bit nasty. It's just a natural process of separating the attachment from their parents so they're able to attach to a partner down the road. If someone has low self-esteem stemming from an insecure attachment, you notice it right away because they tend to be a lot clingier with their partners. Uh, they don't soothe and they don't self-regulate as easily. Um, you'll notice them too because um, if they have a breakup from an earlier relationship, they're the type of person that's prone to believe that the world is falling apart. They don't quite cope with it as effectively as someone who's more securely attached. Um, whenever there's a fight, they get really worried about the relationship is over. They're less able to kind of just see an argument as an argument and not as a broader statement about the relationship or about them as a person. It's so interesting how we're shaped and, and because of the way we, we are relating with our parents attaching and I'm sure our listeners are being able to identify like, yeah, this is exactly kind of what I felt with with my parents and and now i'm i'm maybe struggling in a relationship with feeling like uh it's over every time we argue so as far as just actionable tips what can someone do that is feeling like they they have an insecure attachment what can they do to sort of ease that that anxiety that i imagine they they must be feeling and, and sort of go forward in a more positive way? Well, there's things that you can do as an individual and there's things that your partner can help you out with as well as if it's something that you recognize in your relationship. I would say first off, if you're working on yourself, you need to start to be able to take your, your sense of self, your self-identity, feeling good about yourself. You have to start transitioning that to a feeling of within instead of without. So, I think something that's really good is something that this comes from the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, who does a lot of work in self-compassion. Um, the nice thing about her is she has a PhD and she just researches. So everything that she recommends is evidence-based, but keep a journal, log your gratitude for yourself, have gratitude for your partner and keep a record of it every day, but also write a letter of self-compassion to yourself. Say what it is that you like about yourself, what you're proud of, 
What makes you feel good about being in your skin? And the evidence shows that people that can do that for at least seven days in a row start to kind of internalize that sense of self-worth a little bit. Um, another nice thing about attachment, and as, I, as we mentioned, it starts in infancy and it does affect us dramatically through our lives. But one thing that we do know about it is that it's malleable and we know about neuroplasticity and we know that it can change. So if you're in a partnership that's very strong, the communication is good and the lines are open, you have a really good chance of changing that attachment pattern. So if you have a partner that's insecure, one thing that can help is making sure that, you know, if there's a problem in the relationship, you're giving a lot of affirmation to that person saying, you know, I love you to bits. You're wonderful for me, but I need you to know that when the dishwasher is always left full, I find that frustrating not to do with you just to do with the habit and really making that differentiation. Um, Another thing that can be done is being very, very consistent because that consistency and the level of warmth and affection is really going to make a difference to that partner over time. Um, another thing to note, too, is that uh, attachment is really hardwired into us. And we have something called the mammalian caregiving center in our brains. And when that's activated, that is what kind of changes our attachment style. And the way that you can do it is actually quite physical. Eye gazing is something that really kind of kicks in the, the mammalian caregiving system and can alter uh, your attachment. So making sure you're looking into each other's eyes regularly, that you're having good conversations with good eye contact, uh, physical contact. We know that warmth and that kind of skin-to-skin -to -skin touch really activates the mammalian caregiving uh, system as well. So making sure that you're spending some time cuddling every day, like skin-to-skin. -skin. If you're hugging, it's got to be at least 20 seconds and we've got a lot of research to show that if you can hold somebody for at least 20 seconds, their body's going to start producing oxytocin, which is the love hormone, which is going to engage that attachment system and help to make things a little bit better over time. Again, if you find that you're struggling, there's lots of therapists out there that can help you with these sorts of things, too, to help you to feel better about yourself and help to have that sort of corrective attachment relationship as well. Those are great tips and, and really actionable tips. And you talked about how a partner can help out by by being uh, giving those words of affirmation to maybe their their partner with lower self esteem and like so many things we talk about on the show, it can come down to communication because if the partner that has that low self esteem, their partner may not be completely aware of it all the time or maybe even at all. So I can imagine it's kind of important for that insecure attachment person don't just assume or or get mad or wait for your partner to to be saying these things to you you want to kind of reach out and and make sure say hey uh i don't know what what would they say well i think it, it, you're right in some sense it's naming it and saying you know i after that fight i really didn't feel okay are we okay is this just about the dishwasher or is this something more? And it might feel, if you're the partner that doesn't have self-esteem, it might feel a little nagging over time. But just remembering that that's where your partner's at and that's what they need for their growth and development. I think that's that's a great kind of example. Is Don't be afraid. Like, really come out and communicate. Uh, are we okay? Or after an argument or, or anything. And, and that insecure uh, attachment individual is going to, feel better and they're going to go forward uh, feeling better. Are there any other exercises they can do to sort of to work through? Because I, I always associate it with like anxiousness, like being yes. insecure. I just imagine and I'm, I think I'm 
uh, maybe a blend of secure and insecure. Um, maybe not one way all uh, towards either, but uh, definitely feeling that anxiousness. So are there any other things that someone can do to, to navigate those feelings? I would say that as a couple, there's definitely some habits that you can pick up. And if you want a really good book that illustrates some habits for healthy marriage, uh, look up Ashley and Daniel Bush. Um, the nice thing about them is they're a therapist, but they're also a couple. And they've got a really good manual and things that you can build, build into it. Um, but there's habits that you can work into your day-to-day life. Because I think the thing is that we all have to recognize is when you're new in a relationship, for the first, say, five years or so, we've got really high natural oxytocin levels, which make us give us that really loving, emotional feeling. We also have very high testosterone levels, which makes sex really frequent for the first five years. And over time, that's going to decline. So I think especially in the early days, you have to put in these habits that kind of keep that connectivity so that you can keep the positivity in the relationship rolling forward as that oxytocin and testosterone starts to wane naturally with time. Uh, One thing that they suggest doing that works well for a lot of couples is having a ritual that you use when you leave every morning, when you go your separate ways, maybe it's a, a certain way that you hold hands or a look or a gesture that kind of indicates, you know, we're going on our own separate ways, but I'll carry you with me throughout the day. Um, Another thing is upon return, no matter what, kids, pets, dinner, whatever else is aside, you need to go to each other and you need to hug for at least 20 minutes and reconnect and have a really good touching down after being separated for that time. Also, like going to bed at the same time and really touching base regularly, not because you've had a fight or you had a really good day or you had a good time out, a daily habit to go to bed together, spend some time, talk about the day, check in. But also, just like I mentioned, use that gratitude. There's a lot of research out there that says that say that people that practice this, these sort of gratitude habits, they feel better about themselves. They feel better about their lives. They start to internalize that that way of feeling better about yourself. So check in with your partner. Tell them one thing you're grateful for about having them about them or about them being in your life that day, and make it part of your routine. Those are great tips. I think for for any couple, even if if they're both uh, secure attachment, because it's it's so easy especially now with all the distractions and work and media and our phones to just get on autopilot, you might not even necessarily be having big issues in your relationship. Uh, Things seem to be okay, but you're both very distracted with, with your life and you don't acknowledge each other when when you leave in the beginning of the day and then certainly when you come home it it might be you just go straight to the computer and and i can just imagine because i know uh sarah and i we get busy sometimes and we're also parents to a one and a half year old so i think it's really important to to do things like that to check in and even if there's not necessarily things going wrong because i feel like if you don't do that when something does go wrong, because it will, you, you're going to not be in as good of a place as if you're already checking in with each other, communicating, and, and on uh, a good level. Absolutely. And I would say, too, and this is what I say to all my clients, regardless with what they're working on, you got to practice the skills when you don't need them. If you can't use a skill when you're not feeling stressed, where you're not feeling threatened, where you're not feeling like things are on the rock, you're not going to be able to access it when you do need it. Absolutely. It's so true. And it's funny. And I think, Sorry, go ahead. 
I was just going to say too that with the point with being distracted, I think you're absolutely right that technology is really kind of making a disruption in the way that we're attaching with people. Um, they are coming up with research to say, and especially you mentioned with your little one, that they're starting to show that parents that have their phones on hand all the time, or even with your partner, it disrupts that eye contact. And as I mentioned before, eye contact is really critical for attachment. So what they're really suggesting is when you're when you really need to connect with your child, with your partner, put the phone down for a little while so you're not constantly diverting that eye contact and you're engaging with that person 100%. And you have to make a conscious effort because part of the, the uh, I don't want to say the danger, but the the thing with with this technology, with our phones, is your brain. We're we're literally becoming addicted to the the chemicals being released when we when we see that social media like or the the message, and it's just almost an automatic response to to have that phone out. Um, so being conscious of that and really making an effort to, to put it away, I think is, uh, will help all relationships. Even if you're in a good relationship, it's, uh, it's easy to let that kind of creep in and, and you may not even be aware of it. Absolutely. Are there any other major sticking points that you see when you're dealing or, uh, working with someone with an insecure attachment that are that are kind of big hurdles that they have to deal with in their relationship? I would say, again, it, it's just going to be, it is correctable. You can move from being insecurely attached to securely attached, something that we call earned attachment. So we know that it's possible. But just remember, like, it's a process. However old you were you when you met your partner, it took you that many years to cement in an insecure attachment. Now think how long it's going to take to work against it. But it's part of like, it's being vocal, it's connecting, it's communicating clearly, it's helping to mentalize for the person that, you know, we can have disagreements without falling out of love, saying those things out loud, because you're really building neural scaffolding there that a partner can be consistent, uh, can be credible, and can be loving all the time. And is there one particular tool like journaling or any of the other things that you've mentioned or didn't mention that really helps people dealing with their insecure attachment? I I think first and foremost, it's the physical pieces. It's, it's the physical contact in a way that's meant to produce intimacy. It's connecting. It's in good communication. One thing I always recommend too is a, a book called Nonviolent Communication, I don't know if you bumped into that one before, but it's a really good way of teaching couples or to communicate with anybody really that cuts down to the issues that are important to you without blaming, without assuming what the other person's saying so that you have a chance of communicating effectively the things that are important with you without causing as much friction around it. So it's a really good resource for people to look into as well. We have talked about nonviolent communication a while back can you give myself and our listeners a refresher i know it's pretty it can be pretty in depth but just the basic maybe programming to to communicate in that way with our partner for me it's what it's about basically is not assuming what the person is saying to you it's really listening for their values talking about your values uh, framing your language in a way that's not accusatory, i.e. you always do this, you never do that, owning your own feelings, being able to recognize your reaction 
to someone else's words, because really we're responsible for our own emotional reactions rather than making someone else responsible for those things and really focusing on the essence of what you need communicated back and forth. It's really valuable because so many of the issues, whatever is causing the issue in a relationship, if it's your insecure attachment, if it's finances, at the end, we have to communicate about them and tools to do that in a non-blaming way and then acknowledge your partner's feelings. And it, it's so valuable. Earlier today, Sarah and I were uh, having a bit of an argument over date night and finances and it escalated. And then we, we both sort of let our emotions get the best of us. And then we kind of re reevaluated it, gave ourselves a little time to cool off and then sat down and then we started talking in maybe this nonviolent communication format or just whatever format. It was a better communication between us rather than just a back and forth. You said this and, or in, in accusatory. And it was just like, tell me what is bothering you. And then acknowledging, and then myself saying, I, I understand how you can feel that way and then expressing my feelings and it was just without getting going back and forth but it was just it was it just felt so much better because it felt like we are working towards something when you're arguing it, it it doesn't feel like anything is maybe in the moment you're like yeah I'm getting my point across but the reality is is you are not making progress towards um a solution to whatever it is uh you're arguing about Absolutely. And we end up arguing about the same thing we argued about before. So the argument becomes a pattern rather than a resolution. You're right. That's, it's so true. And this was something we had argued about before. And, and we kind of ended it like, okay, this is getting insane. And, and we, we made some steps to, to address it so that we're not going to run into this again. And if we do, we'll, we'll hopefully deal with it in, in the right communication pattern. But if you, like I say so many times on this show, we tell our listeners, it's not about being perfect. You're going to have problems in, in conflict in a relationship. That's just how humans relate. It's going to happen. It's But the key is that you have the tools to navigate those issues in a productive and, and constructive way. So you come out the other side happy in or or working towards that happiness rather than a negative uh projection that's that's leading towards bad things exactly and i find it helpful to even think about the relationship as its own entity in a way because a lot of us just take for granted that we have a partner we have a relationship and then we go about our lives well you have to think about that as if it's its own living being like I don't know, like a plant. Like you can't just leave a plant in the corner. It's going to die. It needs tending. You have to check in with it. Same with your relationship. It needs constant work. It needs constant attention. And I think that's something that we forget a lot of the times, especially after kids, because we start putting all our focus into what they need. But our relationship has needs too. And we can't let that slide by the wayside. It's so true. Well, this is all great information. Now we got to move forward to the lasting love round. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? I check in time every single day. I recommend bedtime at least because that's where we're winding down and we've got less on our mind basically because the day is done. But connect, talk, say what it is that you appreciate about each other and make it a daily habit. 
Is there a book or resource you can recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationship? I would say 75 Habits of a Happy Marriage by Ashley Bush and Daniel Bush. Awesome. Can that be for single people too? Is it just like a lot of things, there could be value in in a book that's it, just talking about relationships, even though it's geared towards people in a marriage? Well, I would say, especially if you're dealing with uh, low self-esteem, it could be, even though you're not in a relationship, it's still a good read anyway. The reason being is sometimes when you are an insecure person, you'll tend to put up with things that maybe you shouldn't because you're always looking for that outside affirmation. And if you read these habits, it kind of gives you an idea of what a healthy relationship looks like so that you know when you're falling into pitfalls of an unhealthy relationship. Well, we will be sure to have that book on your show notes page at idopodcast.com under the archives. We've been married for two years. Is there any advice you would give newlyweds? I would say, as I mentioned before, start forming the healthy habits now. Because as I mentioned, in about five years, those natural oxytocin testosterone levels are going to drop. And it's going to be the habits that you formed early on that will carry you through those times when things start to shift and change. And our last question is, what advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? I would say... For me, I always think that when you fall in love with another person, you're making a gift of yourself. And typically when you go shopping for gifts, you give the best thing that you can find for that person. You find the thing that you think that they're really going to enjoy and appreciate. Well, that's you. Make sure that you feel good about you. Make sure that you feel like you're the kind of person that you would make a gift of. And if you don't, spend some time getting to know yourself and the things you like about yourself Write them down, engage with those things. And if you're still struggling, find yourself a therapist that can help to kind of fix some of the the issues we've had from our past. When you feel good about yourself and your own skin is when you're going to find a relationship that's healthy and works for you. That is great advice. We are a gift and not in a egotistical way, but in a way that we are showing ourselves self-compassion. And and, uh, I really love that. Well, we've... or. I have, unfortunately, Sarah is dealing with, with Stella, but I've, I've really enjoyed all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So why don't we take a minute, tell us where they can find you online, and then we'll say goodbye. Um, you can find me online at acarverpsychotherapy.com. From there, you can also find my links for my, my uh, Twitter page as well as my Facebook page. Um, and I work out of Ottawa, Ontario. Our listeners can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And again, Amanda, we really appreciate it for you coming on the show today. No, anytime. Hi, Sarah here. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon, Amazon, or audible.com. All the links are on the bottom of our show notes page on idopodcast.com and in the description for this episode. Also, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes. We appreciate it so much. Thanks. Oh, is
over We're gonna light up the night Leave the fields of the fight When the war is over We're gonna bury all the guns Singing every last one Oh, it's 
You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.